I'm Mike Brilla, host of the Inspired Teacher Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Matt Genovese. He is the CEO of Planorama Design. Today is talking with me about Planorama, AI, and AI in education. Oh, so much to learn. Thanks for listening. And, and, and by the way, before you go, it'd be so cool if you went to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and left a review. Could you do that for me? That's so cool. Thanks so much. Enjoy the show. It's the Education Podcast, your favorite show, with lots of groovy guests, and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Milletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Ah, ah, with Dr. Steve Milletto. Matt Genovese is a seasoned technology professional whose impressive career spans over a period of 25 years. His domain encompasses a diverse set of specializations extending from semiconductor chip design and community building to piloting his own software venture. Having spent a significant part of his career in an edtech startup, which was later acquired, Matt played a pivotal role in fostering student success in STEM fields by cultivating an integrated environment for online homework and digital textbooks. At present, he helms a leading company that defines requirements and designs software user experiences for their clients. Committed to furthering advancements in AI solutions, his firm is at the cutting edge of research and design of AI technologies. They work particularly with commercial and open large language models, offering users a novel, more intuitive interface for learning and discovery. Our focus today is AI and AI in schools. Matt, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Hi, everybody. And hi, Steve. Thanks a lot for having me. This is, this is really nice to be here. Well, glad to have you. And uh, this is cool. we got an awesome subject here today. Uh, so before we go any further, tell us about Planorama. What's its purpose? Sure. Well, you did a good job. I should hire you to do my <laughs> to do my commercials. No, my uh, so Planorama Design is a company I started a number of years ago. We do software requirements and and user experience design uh, for for other companies. And if you haven't heard of user experience design, consider it as uh, making software that is easy to use, making it user friendly. Uh, that that term that used to be when I was a kid, user friendly, I think is, is still applicable. Uh, but we we certainly try to make tools uh, instead of having to take the the user and mold them to the tool. We try to take the tool and mold them to the user in the way they think, the way they already operate. Uh, so we work with um, uh, many different companies to uh, again define requirements uh, in terms of the, the what the features are that the application needs to provide, and do all the designs for them. And ultimately, we get products to market faster, and we reduce the cost of it internally. So um, I, I think in a nutshell, that's, that's probably the best way to explain it. Very cool. Thanks so much. The, uh, you know, it, it, all right. So now we're getting ready to get in a little bit meat of this stuff here. And I got to ask you because, you know, we're talking about AI today. And mm -hmm. one of the things I, you know, it's been interesting over the last bunch of years, um, you know, like when the smart speakers started coming out, uh, um, people were thinking like they were talking on, Star Trek or something like this to the computer. So they named, even named it, you know, hey, computer, you know, tell me this or that. And, you know, and so the people who programmed it made sure it could tell stupid jokes because people 
were saying dumb things to it and things like that and, you know, what to do if it got offended. And then, you know, we moved forward and we've had, and there's other stuff I'm sure been in the background, but the, mm-hmm. there's nothing eerier than having uh, your, uh, your maps or your uh, ways or any of those types of direction finding, you know, guru th- devices to, to remind you that, you know, if you leave now, you'll make it to where you normally go at this time of the day in three hours. You know, it's like, whoa, okay, thank you. You're paying a little too much yeah. attention to my, my, what I'm doing. And, you know, and, and it's, it's just interesting because there's all kinds of stuff out there now that uh, we're learning a little bit more about what, you know, AI has been probably coming out of the, <laughs> mm-hmm. we didn't really realize it was in our world uh, for so long. And, you know, Part of it scared a lot of people, you know, <laughs> part of it yeah, yeah. scared a lot of people because we're a little worried that we're in Terminator land and we're going into uh, the oh, development yeah. of Skynet and uh, we're going to say goodbye. For those of you who don't know, that's a, that's a movie from the eighties. And uh... <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah, if you, if you, if you don't know what that is, go pause the show right now and go watch Terminator. <laughs> yes, there you go. There you go. And, and then you'll be afraid forever. So the, uh, um, you know, and, you know, and, one of the things that fascinates me right now is these cars that uh, um, they're experimenting with driving by themselves with nobody in them and uh, or the possibility that you can rent one that you can either drive or let it drive you and uh, all the fun they're having with some of those devices, by the way. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, it's a so, challenge. It's a challenge, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, it's not easy. What an interesting world we're in. So what's AI? Well, sure. Uh, and, and so let me just, I'll, I'll back up for a moment. I know it sounds a little strange for somebody coming from a user experience design firm to talk about AI, uh, but we have an R&D arm. I started a number of years ago to tinker and evaluate and experiment with emerging technology, and AI is one of them. And really, you know, if you think about it, uh, AI is a technology like, like any others, and still you have to provide a way for people to interact with it, right? And, and part of what we evaluate is what the products for the future look like and how we have to be ahead of the game uh, in order to uh, prepare for these applications. Because AI, uh, you know, as you have noticed, Steve, has entered the chat very abruptly, yes. <laughs> has <laughs> entered our, our, our consciousness uh, over the past year, year and a half. Um, but realistically, it's been under the covers for quite some time. AI, you know, so AI, what is it? AI is basically a way of leveraging computers and machines to, to mimic uh, the problem-solving and decision-making capabilities of humans, of how we how we tend to think. That's why we call it artificial. Uh, it's a shame, by the way, I, I usually, you know, AI is artificial intelligence, but sometimes I also want to use actual intelligence, and it's a shame it's the same acronym, uh, because sometimes they are, and sometimes they're not the same. Uh, it really depends. You know, the way, uh, you know, one way to think of it, and there is a gentleman named Alan Turing, which many folks have, have you know, know about, and he had this Turing test where he, you say, look, if a, if a human interrogator could distinguish between computer and a human response, right, how would that work out? And, and the, the closer that those, you know, that the human and the computer response come together, and if the human can't tell, then they're kind of passing the Turing test, right? Basically, if you put something behind a wall and your interaction with it tells you it's a human, then you're passing that Turing test, and therefore it has some type of intelligence, Right. Or at least exhibits, you know, intelligence, um, you know, through its through whatever machinery is working behind the scenes. Um, now, well, and again, AI has been around for some time. 
they used to call them back in the 80s expert systems. Um, but you know, today we call it AI. That's an umbrella term that covers a lot, right? Anytime you go and you know, have your, uh, your, your walk, like, for example, the place where I live, they have uh, a little camera where you can go and uh, if you just face the camera, it recognizes who you are and it can let you in the door, right? So you don't have to have a key card or anything like that, right? There's, there's AI behind that. Um, there is a, a whole, again, it's an umbrella term. The, the, if you dive down a bit under that umbrella and start piecing it out, uh, you have something called machine learning, right? And I'm going to, bring this down to a point where we're we're talking about what I, I think is the, the point of this conversation today. Machine learning is where you're you're getting machines to be able to extract knowledge and data uh, and learn from it rather autonomously. Now, autonomous doesn't necessarily mean completely hands-free. There's different models, different ways of of accomplishing that. But um, you know what what you're really doing is allowing machines to learn from information in the same way that that uh, that people do. Um, and there's some really interesting recent papers that have come out over the past year that tend to show that that these models uh, learn. We, we've, it's funny we've we've designed them in such a way that they mimic how you know how our brains put together. In fact, these neural networks are exactly that. And then we we're almost surprised to realize that they are best trained uh, when they are. Um, working from the bottom up, learning the basics and then growing on top of that knowledge. Uh, and so I think the, the more that we uh, understand how these models work, we start realizing that, uh, hey, they, they learn the same way we do. <laughs> Maybe they can accelerate it and they can do well, uh, but they, they, they tend to learn how we do. And I think that's very interesting. So underneath of machine learning, you can, you can think about neural networks, which as the name implies, you know, is based on how how the brain is is set up as we understand it today. And you're training models, this idea of training a model. And there's there's inputs and there's expected outputs. And when you're training, you're saying, hey, given these inputs, we expect this output. And if it doesn't produce it, we use that training to go back into the, the neural network and adjust it so it will produce that output. You do this over and over again for a gazillion times. And then it gets pretty good where you can go into an inference mode where you put in the inputs and you get an output that you would hopefully expect. And um, and so anyway, I've kind of taken down from the top level of AI through you know, machine learning and then neural networks. And, and that's kind of where we're at today, especially with things like uh, language models, which I, I think are be become very exciting over the past, uh, past year and a half. And uh, I'm sure that's where we want to go in this conversation. <laughs> most definitely, most definitely. Appreciate it. Because you're leading right into it, which is, you know, we're good. Well, before I go there, because I'm going to ask you about teachers here in just a second. How's the AI impacted you personally? What's what's it done for you or not done for you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was an interesting question. I don't, it's hard to say personally what it's done for me. I, I can say though that I'm continually having to remind myself that it exists. And I mean that in a way, talking about the language models in particular, these language models are are becoming um, really quite powerful uh, since GPT-2 and then three came out with OpenAI and then four, and then the, a number of other models, even in the open arena, in the open source arena um, are becoming quite good. And I think what I'm I'm 
I, I, I have to, to remember is that as I'm doing certain things in my day-to-day -day work, that these tools now exist that haven't for the past, you know, number of years I've been alive, which I'm not going to give that number up, but I've been alive <laughs> for a while. And, and I have to remind myself that they are available and it can often accelerate my own work. It can get me past some points that before uh, would just take me some time to sit down and just drudge through this, this set of work. And I'm, it's almost like realizing you have a, another limb, you know, and like, oh, I've got this, you know, I've got this other arm I forgot that I had now. And it, now it's, I'm able to use it in a way that, um, you know, I'm just not accustomed to. And I, I think in the future, um, generations will probably behave in the same way that our kids do now, where they say, oh, you know, they've always had a phone. They've always had a phone on them. And, and the older generation's like, oh, we never had that. I'm not used to even having that concept of always having a phone. And uh, I think AI will be the same. It'll be just become ubiquitous. And uh, you, you'll you'll always remember it's there. <laughs> that's that's cool. Matter of fact, what you got me thinking about is that would be interesting if you know the previous couple of generations have always had a phone, whereas mine not mm -hmm. not so much, not so much, not at all. <laughs> and <laughs> and then uh, and then the next generation, the phone actually looks at you and says, "You know, you've used me a lot today. Maybe you should put me down now." <laughs> yeah, that's the truth, right? That would be awesome. Exactly. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, they're starting to do that now, by the way, because people realize the ill effects of having a phone in front of you twenty four seven, and right. and uh, and it, we we do know it's addictive. So they're starting to build in those features, like, hey, you know, you've been on the phone for a while today. <laughs> Love it. Go out and spirit some actual reality instead of uh, virtual. Looking at a screen here. I love it. Love it. Uh, all right. So people are excited, but also a bit apprehensive about the potential implications of AI in education. Could you share your thoughts on this? I mean, so is AI going to replace a classroom teacher? I mean, because literally since mm. ChatGPT came out, we've gone through these interesting emotional roller coasters. Oh my gosh. Hey, pretty cool. Oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> this is terrible. Life's coming to an end. No, it's not. It's going to be cool. You know, what, what do you think? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, it, that's to be expected. Uh, we haven't had something like this come onto the scene in quite some time. I, I'll be honest, that when I thought about this, I really thought about what was the impact, the last impact we had. And I think it was the World Wide Web oh. in terms of just like, oh, it changes a lot of things now. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, like all of a sudden businesses can have a, a place online and have a global marketplace, right? Global presence. You can talk to anybody. Um, and, and, uh, you know, AI, I think is probably as big as that. Um, so let me share you a, a quick story. I used to work as, as you mentioned in the intro, I worked at a company, uh, a startup that was acquired by a, a, a larger education company. And this company built online homework. And one of the real values that I, I loved I loved working at this company and I, I loved the, the product that they built. Uh, and I'll, I'll, they, they made online homework that it was for the sciences, although it went into economics and other areas too. And part of what it would do was understand that the student was struggling with a certain concept in their homework. And every problem, every math problem, every science problem, was designed meticulously by teams of, of PhD and master's level people at this company. Uh, and they knew the top 10 ways kids would screw it up. 
screw up the concept, right? So they devised this, uh, these these questions, and the tutoring was built into the online homework. So it knew that when you answered a certain way that was incorrect, it told you why. Told you that, ah, oh, this is going to be a problem. Here's what you don't understand. Here's what we're going to help you through. And the students turned out they loved it. As much as a student can love homework, they loved this homework because it really did help them understand what they were doing, right? And I think most students, I think, really just want to understand the material, right? They want to know, like, if you go into a class, whether they want to be there or not, how much nicer would it be given two choices to really understand what you're being taught, to come out knowing more than what you went in with? So this tool that these that this company built, this online homework solution, I had never had the time where I had gone to a conference because I would go to conferences. I'd want to meet with students and professors because of my role there. I was leading the, the digital textbook integration with this online homework. And I, you know, it's best case for me to talk to people. And I had students come up and ask to give me a hug. And they, I couldn't believe it. I said, well, sure. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a hug. I'll hug anybody. And they, the fact that they um, were so happy to just have this individualized, what felt like a tutor, like a virtual tutor right there with you. They were just ecstatic and so appreciative, right? That it, it really, it left a, left a mark on me. I said, wow, this, this really makes a difference. And you don't, you don't see it until you get out there. Um, how does this relate back to the question about AI? Well, look, AI is, is not going to replace a teacher. This, this tool that, that, uh, that company built did not replace teachers, right? But it certainly augmented their capabilities, right? If it helps students to learn the material, to better understand it, to internalize it, how bad can it be, <laughs> right? Uh, now, we all know that students learn in different ways, and we'll probably talk about that you know, later on, but um, teachers... You're not going to replace them, right? They're, they're, they have an ability to inspire, to mentor, to, to motivate, um, to be you know truly empathetic and, and interpersonal with students. We I mean, can't replace that with, with AI. We don't, we don't have that. Did calculators replace the math teacher? No. Right? I'm sure this analogy has been used. It's a tool, right? And it's an opportunity to teach. You have an opportunity to teach students how to use it and how to use calculators and when to not use them, what they work well for and what they don't. AI is not going to leave. You're not going to get it to, to, uh, to leave the room, right? That, that bottle's been opened. Um, so I, I think our best bet is to consider uh, what do we do with it and where can it really help? And it turns out there are some, uh, a lot of different um, initiatives and companies and nonprofits that are working on how to take this uh, this tool and turn it into something that can address real challenges for students. And by the way, for teachers and administrators and everybody else who's in the room here, um, you know, so no, it's not going to replace the classroom teacher. I think it's going to make everybody more efficient. Uh, and it's going to, and when they get down to students, uh, they're going to find that there are different ways that they're going to be able to learn now and uh, different avenues available to them at all times of day, right? Uh, definitely... Computers don't sleep, typically. So uh, that's a long that's a long answer to your rather short question. <laughs> but that's, that makes perfect sense, though, because that's, that's one of the things that, uh, you know, I think about, uh, you know, I was in the, the day of the, 
um, the mighty TI-35 calculator. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and the teacher, uh, there's a couple teachers who were, made sure they told you that, do understand that you cannot use that on the test because you will not have a calculator with you no matter where you are <laughs> in the future. So you must know how to do <laughs> by hand. That's right. And uh, That's right. Um, even though, you know, you must know, how, you should know how to do it by hand, although some mm-hmm. calculations may not need to waste as much time on, um, they were not yeah. correct about not having a calculator wherever you go. Matter of fact, I can, I can have it on my watch. I can have it on my, I can have it everywhere. That's now. the truth. Yeah. That's the truth. Well, that's, you know, my, my father was an engineer. Uh, he was a mechanical engineer and he, uh, he had a slide wool, you know, and he loved to try to show me how to use it. And I remember we would talk at dinner time. he'd go up and run upstairs and get the slide wool, you know, like most families did, you know, come down and talk about how to do logarithms and everything on the slide. Sidewall, but I would learn how to use it and I never used it, but I appreciated the fact that he did and he had to, and that was the tool he had available to him at the time. Was that considered cheating, you know, or <laughs> something like that? I don't know. Calculators is just an evolution of that. Uh, did I ever use a slide rule? No, never. Did I use calculators to do logarithms? Yes. But did I understand how logarithms work? Yes, because, you know, I was taught that in school and I understood it and math happened to be my, my you know, an area that I really enjoyed I love that. That's it's we're in those, you know, and granted the changes are coming faster and faster than ever before. Um, Mm -hmm. in some of the stuff that's going on now, but it's just, it's just amazing how, um, we've made adjustments and we've had to deal with whatever's come with it. And we kind of make those things happen because for a while we were just really fascinated that we could, you know, take the little calculator, turn it upside down and look, I spelled hello, you know, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Or other things we're not going to say on the air. Oh yes, yes. I wasn't going there. I had, uh, but it, you know, it, I think it's funny. So I'm gonna I'm gonna mention something here because I'm a, a little stuck in this world. I I like. Uh, I, did you ever Did you ever read any Douglas Adams? Oh yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Like uh, history of the, what was it? Uh, Brief history of time. The thing I'm talking about with him is the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. How about that one? Oh, I'm sorry. That one. I'm sorry. I got the name wrong. That's, That's all right. right. That's all right. I was thinking of Hawking. Yeah, yeah, you're you're thinking of real stuff. I'm talking about <laughs> I'm talking about the guy in the sci-fi land. And, that's right, that's right. And uh, he, uh, um, well, my point is though is that he had uh, there are two characters that I always think about now with as we're moving forward with AI, and one is uh, Eddie, the shipboard computer, who would uh, like to say things to everybody to, because mm-hmm. he's there to serve them. Hi guys, how you doing today? It's you know, and and talk about all kinds of different stuff with him. And then you had Marvin, the paranoid android, who would talk about uh, the brain the size of a universe. And they asked me to go get this and go get that. And, you know, <laughs> and, and so where I'm going with this is that I, I'm really afraid of sometimes where we're going with it in, in shopping and retail and stuff like this, because I could just see us. Mm. Uh, I'm in it. I, I go to, I'm a Braves fan. I go to Atlanta Braves games all the time. We'll be going to one tonight, by the way. And, uh, uh. The uh, uh, one of the things that's new there is they have this booth that you walk into that needs nobody to operate it. You have to insert your credit card. You walk in, and then anything you buy when you leave is charged to that credit card. And uh, uh, and you know, it, there's an interesting number of these little self serve things start to pop up in the stadium. Now, granted, most people are not in that yeah. that little thing. They're out there wanting to find somebody to help them get their hot dog and get the other stuff that they need. But, you know, we're, we're seeing these interesting changes, though, as, peop- as the technology is becoming something that people can do something with it. And one of the things I wanted to talk about, you started to mention just a minute ago, which is, you know, as different learners have different learning styles, I mean, 
how can AI assist in personalizing learning materials to cater for this diversity? I mean, I, you know, it's, yeah. it, it's cool. It's a stuff. good question. Uh, you know, the, I think everybody tends to think of, you know, like, well, I, I see chat GPT and I can type on it and it gives me stuff back. Um, we're very nascent in this whole period, right? It's like we're, we're in web, not even 1.0, we're in web 0.3, right? It's just launching. I mean, really right. 2022, 2023, in terms of the language models, this has been the banner, the banner year, right? Um, for a while I was looking at, I was reading the papers coming out from Google and Microsoft and other institutions at Stanford. And it felt like every six hours there was a new paper coming out. Like there was a real speed, but that's what happens when this is really, you know, taking off. Um, it, it, so to, to answer your question, we're early, right? But I have some right. ideas. Um, so first of all, I, I'm going to say just up front that we have these big models and you're right. You kind of go back to the Hitchhiker's Guide to say, like we have these giant models that do things like GPT-4 trained on a, you know, huge number of, of, of data sets, has a, a, a large, you know, stiflingly uh, large uh, uh, network inside of it and or parameters. And then you, you look and say, well, it can say anything. It can do anything. But, it, 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 you know, what is it really good at? And, and there are certain things it's really good, but there are certain things it's not really good at, right? And so we're building, what are we doing? We're building other things to, um, you know, like in terms of these ideas called agents, where you have the, the, the language model helping itself to decide what agents to deploy to go and figure out things that it can't figure out itself, right? And some of these agents may actually be uh, more focused, more directed language models that do certain things really well, but in a narrow field, right? Uh, and, and you may find these coming on the scene here in the in the next in the next few years that are focusing on solving certain problems these smaller models that don't require a lot of hardware therefore they're a lot lower cost and and why am i saying this about the the learning styles meaning that what i'm, I'm talking about is that these th these large language models that are just ginormous may be able to deploy other language models that do other types of things that uh, in terms of learning may handle certain areas for students, may, may help stu students and teachers and administrators doing certain types of things. Um, now let's go back to the, the question about, you know, personalizing learning materials and, and, and helping students, you know, based on the diversity of the ways people learn, right? One of them I'll say is probably, you know, an, an adaptive learning um, approach, right? So you could have these these AI powered platforms that could, you know, not just talk back and forth with the student, but offer different types of interactive learning options, right? Like gamified quizzes, problem solving puzzles, puzzles, even VR simulations, and do them on the fly, right? Create these in a way that students now have uh, the AI understanding what the challenges it's having, that the students having, and give it uh, different ways to learn to under to communicate how that uh, particular concept works, right? To 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 give them that um, that understanding, right? Um, another way is and, and a kind of it's very similar, but customized content, right? 
You could take areas that the student is struggling with, help put together study guides, um, other types of tools to help them just learn what they need to learn, right? Instead of learning everything um, that they already understand, you know, why spend time on on things that you already grasp? Uh, help them understand the 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 concepts that they're struggling with. And again, it's it's similar to adaptive in that way because you're you're customizing based on the student. I think a lot of the challenge has been. In, in teaching that teachers are, are overworked, educators are overworked, they can't address every student's needs. And yet, when you have something like AI that can look at, that doesn't, doesn't sleep, and can look at every particular student and what how they're doing, what they're struggling with, what they're not struggling with, to create this level of customization uh, for every student, I think is going to be very, very powerful. And I think a, a theme that we're going to find permeate uh, throughout education is this personalized approach. I know that's been been in ed tech for some time. This personalized approach for students, I think, is just going to accelerate with the with the use of AI because it will amplify the, those capabilities. Um, a few others. So, uh, and this is one that uh, I struggled with certainly, and I'm going to say that students sometimes learn, especially in technical areas, but it could be in, in many. Um, uh, Sometimes they learn better at a top-down approach. Sometimes they learn better at a bottom-up approach. And again, if you think about customization, um, chemistry, for example, some teachers teach it the traditional way, some teach it atoms first. Um, if you go into electronics uh, or electrical engineering, that was my background, uh, sometimes people want to learn computer science first and then drill down to what's happening beneath, right, as you get down to the transistors. Other programs sometimes want to focus on the transistors and build up so that every time you're building up, you already understand what's happening beneath. There's pros and cons for that. But at the end, you're, you're, you know, whatever you're teaching, you're, you're forcing all the students into that paradigm. Right. Uh, I think there's other ways to do it. And I think that the AI uh, can support going up or going down as the, as the student needs to uh, during their learning experience. Right, and and you don't necessarily have to put people in the buckets, um, or the whole class or the whole course in a in a bucket and say you're all going to learn top down and we're all going to learn bottom up. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, of learning predictions, you know. So we're going to have performance data for each learner for each student, and to predict even future areas where they're going to struggle. Right, um, and you could have you know what I would call strategic interventions ahead of time to get these students to a place where they're they're prepared for what's coming next right and you can if you can anticipate uh where they're going to have challenges especially based on their prior experience right you're training some of the ai you're giving it these indicators to say they struggled with these certain topics already we think they're going to struggle with this one too right how can we prepare them now for what's coming up in the future i think that's kind of exciting um and then the final one I'll bring up is to say that it's continuous feedback. Um, if you can, you know, instead of having periodic progress reports, right, you can have AI pr provide real-time feedback to students and the parents. Uh, and, and again, really try to help correct mistakes on the spot, uh, you know, reinforce correct responses, you know, maintain the motivation for the students so they're not checking out from the, the process because they're feeling demotivated from, you know, not understanding where they're at. Uh, I mean, hell, I, I I went through, you know, twelve years of of you know school, and then four no five years of uh, of undergrad, and then uh, another two years of graduate, uh, 
And there are many times where you just sit back and like, oh God, I can't do this. <laughs> right? No matter how much schooling you do, you can still, and how old you are, you can still come back and say like, I, I can't, I can't do it. Right. And to feel like that there's something coming in and saying, hey, I've got your back. Here's how, here's what, you, here's what you're missing. Here's what you're not getting. Here's the, the line that you have or the dots you haven't connected yet. And then once you're there, it's amazing how, how much better of a day it is <laughs> when, <laughs> when those dots are connected. Uh, and, and I'm hopeful. I, I think AI can really make a difference because look, what, one of the things AI is really interesting about is that um, it looks at all the data and finds patterns, finds ways to predict. And, and, and people, we are good at many, many things and we're good at pattern matching, but we can't see all the data. We can't encapsulate it all. AI, I think, has a real advantage here where it can look and say, oh, I'm seeing, seeing some trends that are predictive of this person having trouble. And maybe no person would see it. Or maybe the person, maybe the teacher just doesn't have time. The educator doesn't have the, the ability to have, give attention to every student that way. But the teacher certainly can receive an indication from the AI saying, hey, uh, Johnny over here is going to have trouble in this. You may want to go and talk with them before you do this lesson coming up. Right. And, and give them some prep work on that or, or give spend some more time with them. That is something that I think any educator would really appreciate knowing, right? Where to intervene right? and who needs the intervention and what kind. Uh, I, so that, that's, that's, that's where I really see this playing a part. That's so cool. Cause I think you're so right on the money. I mean, it's just, cause it's one of the things that uh, to keep, track of that especially you know kids do funny things I was one of those kids who did funny things I <laughs> I went into the classroom and I tried to make sure that uh, if you'd let me I would sit you know kind of up towards the front but not at the front and kind of in the middle yeah. to the to the right of the classroom and I would look at you the whole time I would let my friends talk to me and I you know you'd swear I was paying attention and doing everything I was supposed to be doing and actually I was drawing my superhero pictures <laughs> but <laughs> you know <laughs> but the whole point was to to keep you from calling me to the board and stuff like this. And, um, oh, yeah. and so for the most part, when I was in class, they didn't really know if I was getting it or not, unless they really checked my homework or mm. if they would have done something like checking my progress. And which is what you're talking about is the, the, how much the AI could fall into that gap of um, taking care of that gap and addressing, you know, finding out whether Steve's getting it or not, or Steve's drawing superheroes. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I mean, they're using it in, in medicine, right? I mean, I'm look, I'm not a doctor, nor do I play one on TV, right? But, <laughs> but you could have, uh, you're having AI right now looking at different tests that have been conducted and looking at pictures and finding things that doctors, the human eye, or whatever we have today is not able to find yet, right? And if they can do it for medicine, they can do it for education. That's so powerful. I love that. Uh, all right. So one of the things I think is really cool is that AI can also take care of some of the, the daily stuff that, uh, you know, just kind of bogs us down, but mm. we may not have to deal with it. I mean, can you discuss some innovative ways, you know, AI could potentially kind of reduce their work workload when you're looking at like, you know, some yeah. daily drudgery type stuff like duties and, <laughs> and things like that. Well, I, that's a good one. And it's true. I mean, we all, every job, you know, you end up doing things that don't feel like they're value add, but they have to be done anyway. Right. Um, I like and, that, by the way. <laughs> and, and you can't outsource it, right. There's certain right. things you can outsource, right. Like when I first started Planorama, I was doing the accounting and managing that. Then when I got to be big enough, I could outsource that to an accountant or a team right? and let them take care of it. Teachers don't really have that, <laughs> that available to them. Right. No. Um, but you know, so one area I think of is, is automatic grading or automated grading and, and assignment assessment. Um, 
you know, it can be trained to understand uh, the, the the answer patterns, uh, you know, and and put, you know, um, fill out rubrics for you to understand where students are at, right, and and show how st where students are doing well, show where they're struggling. Um, it, and it allows, I think it's going to free up teachers to spend more quality time teaching and interacting with their students, right? Um, and 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 I, I'm just going to mention again, you know, the goal here is not to replace teachers. The goal is to make them more effective, right? To give them the insights to what they need to, so they can intervene and work with students to bring them all, to, to, to level them all up to where they need to be. I think automated grading is one of them. I think uh, an administrative automation is another, right? Doing attendance and scheduling and any kind of logistics, um, you know, any diversion that, that can be removed to allow more time spent teaching, I think is one that's right for automation. And there's a lot of tools out there that do this already. I think it's going to get better because you don't always have standardization for this type of administrative stuff. School districts, everyone may do it differently, right? And the, the real, real nice thing about language models and things like that is they they're they're trained on just working, you know, communicating with people, right? So it doesn't really matter if the school district adopts a certain method and another district adopts a different method, as long as you can communicate it in in language, uh, it can it can review it and uh, and and give you the appropriate response, right? And that response may be again uh, attendance, it may be scheduling, it may be sending out notices to parents, whatever that is, right? And again, I'm not saying this automation needs to be truly automatic, so the, the teacher just never sees it happening. I think what's what people want, and rightly so, they should have, is the ability to have the work done, and then you check it off, and you look at it and say, "Yep, that looks right. Yep, that's right. Yep, that's right. Oh, let me go and edit this. Let me change that." Right. Uh, and so you're you're not removing yourself from the loop, right? You're still at least in an approval loop. Uh, and I think that's important to realize that just because we talk about AI and automation doesn't mean that, you know, stuff is happening like a river running beside you and you don't have any control about what what um, what really occurs. That's not the case at all. Um, I'll say the third one, I would say, is personalized feedback uh, in terms of reducing workload. This is what we kind of alluded to before. Um, you know, giving feedback on students' work, I think, is really important. Um, and depending on the the type of assignment submitted, that can be a challenge, right? If it's a 10-page paper and you got 20 kids, right? That's a lot of pages to read. Um, at least having it run through, having the AI run through every paper and give you some bullet points about what it thinks may give you places to go and dive in and say, oh, I need to go and read these ones first, right? Because these ones seem like they have challenges. Um, and again, it's it's it might be you consider AI not doing your work for everything, but at least giving you some prioritization, but where you're going to spend your time first. Right. I think that's really valuable. I love that. That's awesome. That's, um, that's really cool. Yeah. Well, th <laughs> there's a couple of others like curriculum planning and, and even doing automated responses and things like that, which I, you know, automated responses are more like chatbots. but if you consider it, you know, the, the, uh, you know, students I think are going to be using and they already are using these AI tools like uh, the large language models to to help them learn material. And I, I think that um, uh, students will continue to do that. And teachers can use it for the same thing in terms of like, again, the curriculum planning, helping you to brainstorm, think through things. These large language models, I mean, the large ones like on the GPT-3 and 4 scale, um, they're just trained on so much that um, brainstorming is something they're really good at, 
right? You can say, give me some ideas, brainstorm about this. How would you do this? And you know what? It comes up with some good ideas. It comes up with some terrible ideas too, but it doesn't matter. You're not trying to, you're not giving it a direct line to go implement those ideas. You're putting it into your brain and saying, oh, I've got something to go on now. I've got some, I've sparked off some of my own ideas in my head, right? And it gives you a place to start um, maybe opening yourself up to uh, uh, avenues you wouldn't have considered before, right? Uh, the other way I like to say it is that sometimes it gets you past the blank sheet of paper problem where you're like, oh, I got to sit down and write this. Why not have it give you some ideas and then now you're, you don't have writer's block anymore. You can go and start executing on it. It's still yours, but it, it helped get you past a, a block. That's awesome. I love it. That's uh, especially, I really can see that getting you past that, uh, you know, you're sitting at the in the chair looking at the yeah. piece of paper and going, I don't know what to write. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It, we're all so, we're all people. We still got to walk the same common problems. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I love it. Yeah. The, uh, all right. So I I have friends who would if if I didn't ask you this question and we didn't talk about it, they would definitely mm -hmm. not let me live it down. Which is simply this: one of the big parts of you know people talking about AI today in education is that there's going to be cheating. So what do you think about AI and cheating? Yeah. Yeah, you, you almost can't have the conversation without talking about it. Right. And, um, you know, AI, you know, artificial intelligence is also academic integrity. Uh, it's lovely how that worked out. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but look, students, will, you know, have and always will have the temptation to cheat, right? You can try to prevent it. And uh, that, uh, you know, we, we still do, right? We still try to pre prevent that from happening. Um, however, it's, it's, you know, ultimately if somebody wants to cheat, they're going to cheat. But I think there are ways now that we're going to want to adjust, uh, our, our pedagogy to account for what AI does well and account for, um, how students might misuse it. Right. First of all, and something I'll say right off the bat for teachers that have heard about this, about like this cheating detectors or, you know, was the paper written by AI? Don't use those tools, right? Your students are getting in trouble for papers that they have legitimately written because these tools can't detect it. And no matter what they say, just understand that part of how AI is built in general, and I'll say machine learning tools in general, but let's just Let's talk at a, at a high level. You have a portion of it that generates the, whatever it is, the image, the picture, the, the text, the music, whatever it is. And then you have another portion that is adversarial, that is trying to detect if it's fake, right? Because that's part of how this works. Think about uh, uh, image generation, which has been used a lot by Stability and Midjourney and others. There's a, it's called a general, uh, um, Generative adversarial network. The adversarial part is the part that's trying to detect if the if it's real or if it's a fake. So the adver the adversary is already trying to figure that out. If it can't figure it out past a certain point, then it publishes it and says, "Okay, it's good to go." I'm talking at a high level. There's a lot behind here, but this is the this is the the the, the very summarized version. So if there is an ability to detect that something is not authentic. It would have been built into the adversarial part already. 
and then you would not be able to detect it anymore. So the point is that these language models produce in lots of different, uh, uh, produce language in, in, in many different uh, tones and moods and uh, styles. And it doesn't take much tweaking on the language model prompt to get it to produce in whatever way you want. And there's no way that these tools are going to be able to detect cheating, you know, uh, certainly not in the long run, I'm going to say, unless that there is some partnership done between language models that said, we're going to somehow uh, build in a watermark of some kind, which is very strange, but you, you know, you could anticipate this possibly happening so that you can tell when something has been generated by AI versus not. That may work on pictures, but when you get to language, that's a lot, that's a very, I think a very difficult problem. So all that to say, I wouldn't trust those tools uh, as far as I could throw them. Now, uh, what we may want to consider in terms of AI and, and cheating, I think is looking at classroom participation. Um, you know, and, and I think that sticks out no matter what. Like if you see a student and they're not participating, they don't uh, do any of the work, they seem to not um, understand things in class and they hand in a perfect paper, right? That's always been a red flag, right? It's always been a red flag whether, you know, did they have the, did they somebody get paid off to write it? Right. Or did nowadays that they use AI, right? The red flag is still the red flag. Right? I get you. <laughs> um, and I know that there's been a trend and I used to be involved in this when I was working at the uh, education company in flipped classrooms, right? Where you, you have the, uh, the the lessons provided at uh, at watched at night as part of you know effectively the homework is is watching the lesson for the next day and then the lesson then the next day the in classroom time is is spent more in a in a participation or group exercise or more one on one time and that had some uh, uh, that that seemed to for for certain teachers certain instances have a, a, a really good outcomes uh, I think that the giving more time for in-classroom participation is going to allow the teacher to really see how students interact. And you'll have uh, uh, even a much better uh, way to tell if there are some disparities between the, the work handed in when they're not in the class and their their results or their behavior when they are in class, right? Um, I don't have much more to say than that. It's not a problem. If I could solve it over the call here, I would get to programming <laughs> right after this and make software to to address it. Uh, but I, I do think that uh, the the classroom participation is going to play a, a much greater role uh, going forward in certain classes, right? In certain classes where AI, especially, might be a um, might be a concern, you know, a real concern. But again, I don't th I, calculators didn't. Calculators, you know, you could say that that uh, you know, calculators promoted cheating. Like, ah, uh, you know, <laughs> I think that's a, an argument that has been been huh. addressed for some time. I don't I, AI is going to have to have their own day in the light, right? <laughs> We're going to have to address it that way too. I think you're right. I, you know, it's one of those things that uh, you know, it was always the fear with the the, the calculators that you're cheating, mm -hmm. trying to do the answers. Therefore, we got to figure this out. Well, the the funny thing is, there's so many different ways that you can make sure that you know that it's the kid doing it. I mean, for anyone who's ever been in uh, Cub Scouts doing uh, Pinewood Derby cars, I don't know if you've ever oh, yeah, done those that. things or not, mm -hmm. but, you know, there's always yeah. the, the kids that showed up with 
Wow. <laughs> the that space was, shuttle. Yeah, exactly. It's like, how did you do that on your own at eight years old? You know, and that's right. The, uh, I've seen that kid not be able to unclasp his own hands, and somehow <laughs> he was able to get the space shuttle carved to perfect dimensions. It was like, hmm. Exactly. With, were involved in that one. With the best paint job ever, with everything <laughs> just right. Yeah. And, you know, and it's one of those those things that I think that uh, we just have to kind of adjust how what we think of as cheating too. I, you know, it's interesting because mm-hmm. getting some assistance to help us when we don't get it, you know, is, is one thing also. So there's, there's yeah. so much there. That's just part of that, uh, that box that I love. I, all right. So you've dealt with digital textbooks. You've dealt with, you know, textbooks mm-hmm. production and so forth. How's a AI going to make them more impactful for learning? How, how what's it going to be? That's a good for? question. Textbooks, I mean, look, uh, digital or otherwise, they have been, you know, realistically a flat set of text to be ingested, right? And that's, you know, when you get down to it, whether it's in a, whether it's digital or whether it's a a piece of paper bound book, uh, you still have to go through it, um, you know, in, in some way and ingest all that information. They're trying to transfer it over to your head. And there's really only one way to do it. Even if you if you have a digital textbook and you can go and find keywords, you still have to go and search for the keyword. Like, like God forbid you're in a business textbook and you search for the word human resources, right? Or money, right? You're going to find like 10 million results, right? right? Like, right. Great. Like I'm still at a point where I don't know where to find the information that I need because it's however the book was organized. And uh, if you consider the early web, right? Let's go back to web 1.0. Uh, Information was still all over, right? I'm kind of drawing an analogy here, right? People were making websites all over the place. How do you find them? Well, what was Yahoo doing? Yahoo was indexing them and they had scores of people. Like, I don't know how they ever thought this was going to scale, but they had scores of people like, oh, we're going to put that under under this heading over here. And we're going to put this one under this heading. And then, oh, this one doesn't really fit. We're going to make a new heading and put that like, it. God, horrible, right? And then Google came along with a single search bar and you can find anything out there you want because they had algorithms for crawling and figuring out what was out there and they tamed the web, right? Large language models like ChatGPT and others are are pulling the same stunt, right? In a good way. Um, You know, you can train them and they have trained them on a lot of information. And now it doesn't matter where that information exists. It knows it, it has it, right? So I don't have to care. I don't care about where it, you know, where it actually is located. Now, there's very good reason to want to know where it got its sources from to supply that information, right? Because we know about, you've heard about this idea of hallucinating, where if you ask it a question, it doesn't know the answer. Is like, well, I'll make it up. Yes. Much like children. <laughs> you know? Again, when we look at this, I think these models are behave more like children than we give them credit for. So uh, what's been useful to find out is that we can take these models and restrict them to certain sets of information. And you can do that for language models that have been trained on everything. You can do it for smaller language models, which again are, are more cost effective uh, for, for many companies, right? I mean, it costs a whole lot of money to run OpenAI's models, right? Like million, hundreds of millions of dollars to run these day to day. And uh, there are many other open models out there that can do quite well, not trained on all that information, but can write in English well and provide information and their fraction, a small fraction of the cost to run these. And that's part of the, one of the areas that we investigate quite a bit and that we're experimenting with for our own, uh, for our own experiment, for our own, you know, evaluation. Um, But regardless, you can take some of these models, large or small, 
and focus them on certain sets of text. Okay, and uh, and at that point, now you're answering questions that are coming from the book, and it doesn't matter where the information resides, right? Their information could have been based on the question you're asking. It could be in you know, page 12, page 50, and page 300, where it got the information to answer your question. And it can still provide you with that answer. And then, by the way, tell you it was on page 12, page 50, and page 300 as well for more information, right? So you can go back and review and say, great, this is what I needed, right? I don't have to go and search through the book. I don't have to do a keyword search, right? I can ask a question, get an answer in English or whatever language that you speak. And now... Um, review those pages, go find the information. Now, these days, you better make sure that information is correct. Like it's giving you an answer. You should go back to those three pages and say, ah, yes, the answer <laughs> it gave me is correct because we're still working out the, the challenges with hallucination or just giving giving errant you know, responses. But look, uh, we've done our own testing. It, it does a, it can do a pretty good job, right? And I think if you instruct students who are using AI and using some of these future applications that are relying on large language models and restricting it to certain sets of text, then you can teach them, hey, you, you know, part of what you need to do, like a good student, is go and review the references, which is a good lesson to teach students anyway. Right. Oh, so yeah. um, so anyway, that's that's how I'd talk about these these textbooks. I think it's going to revitalize them because while you could ask questions that are about anything, if the teacher is trying to focus on this textbook and this set of information, it doesn't have to be just a textbook. It could be other information they're providing as part of their own research. Put it into the language model and, and have it focus just for that, just for their class, right? Their class they're teaching. Uh, I think that becomes really valuable because now you do have this tutor effectively that is able to, to answer any question for students about that restrictive set of information. 24/7. That's awesome. It's so cool. It's it's just yeah. it's going to be neat to see where it goes and how it does things and what uh, what it morphs into or if it mm -hmm. looks anything like it does now. So and you could see it the impact it would have on the on the books to 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 help them um even be more interactive with the students and so forth, which is cool. Mm -hmm. I, all right. So I got to I got to ask this. So what changes do you see 5 years from now? I mean, what do you what do you see coming with that uh, with AI and and uh, thinking about uh, what's going on in ed tech? Well, that's, yeah, that's a good question. I can tell you that you know, thinking of it in terms of user experience design, right? How people are using these applications um, right now in two thousand two thousand twenty three. You know, when, since Chat GPT became uh, this amazing application published and become you know. Part, became part of the, the consciousness of, of many, many people. Uh, it's hard to say even early adopters. I mean, there's a lot of early adopters for ChatGPT. It's, it's questionable whether it's still early adopters or it's moved into the mainstream. But that interface is largely type some information, get a response. Type some information, get a response, right? Have a conversation. And uh, typing is a lot of effort. You know, like we, Microsoft built Windows, you know, Apple built the Mac so you could use the mouse. So you don't have, you could escape the command line. And, uh, it, you know, a lot of these newer applications or, or, or I'll say uh, apps that are hitting the market now, which are, you know, a lot of them are just front ends for, for prompts into these uh, language models. 
are still using the command line to some degree uh, to enter information in. Uh, I, I think we're going to need to have AI become a lot more ubiquitous and handled perhaps more on the, the application side behind the scenes so that the user isn't required to go and sit and, and type in a lot of information in order to get responses back. You can go on on chat GPT right now, if you just understand how to write good prompts for it, uh, it can help you with a lot uh, right now. But does that mean it integrates in really well with your existing application? No, it does not right now. Right? You have to copy it out and put it into some format and get it over to your application and pull it in and, um, you know, and it, it can help. I mean, it, it it's pretty good at also, you know, if you give it some formats for it, for producing the data, it can help with that, but it's not, it's not perfect and it's not um it's not always uh, unless you're using certain plugins it's not uh, uh it's not always repeatable um so putting software in front of it with good user experience that's going to hide a lot of the messiness of the ai and those language models and in turn giving you the value that you need um i think is going to be really important uh i will say though that what these chat prompts are doing is really molding or you know molding the data to the format and the, the information that you need as a user right if you think about dashboards right and and a lot of ux design uh, or not a lot some of the ux design work that we do is designing dashboards dashboards are ultimately a way of getting data out of a database and trying to present information Right. And so you, we, we draw this distinction between data and information. Information can be actionable that you can do something with that you, you it, it makes sense to you as a as a user. But it doesn't always answer the questions that you have. What if you could go into a dashboard and just ask a question? Now, here's what I'm trying to figure out. Could you tell me if that's actually true? Could you tell me how this works? Could you tell me, um, you know, where is the student struggling? Right. Uh, how are, you know, uh, how are these, these group of students over here, how are they doing compared to the other students, right? Like, otherwise you have to go and dig through data to figure that out. If you're trying to be a, an educator and, 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 um, determine what your next steps are as part of your, your, uh, um, your work teaching these students. Uh, if you could just ask questions and get the data back to you in the way that you need it to answer those questions, that's ultimately taking the software and molding it to the user, which is what UX design is all about, right? Uh, we, you could give a person a brick and say, there, I made you a hammer. <laughs> Why did you give me a brick? Well, because it's the easiest thing for us to make in mass production. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I don't want a brick. I want to have a handle on it. Why do you want a handle? We gave you a brick. You just grab right? So it, that's, that's what UX is, is addressing, is like give people hammers based on their way of thinking, their their uh, anatomy in this case. Like, I got this hand. I want to be able to swing it. I need momentum. And and uh, that's what UX does. AI can, can certainly address that because, look, the user is just trying to figure out some information, just trying to figure something out. If you let them ask it, uh, they the, the AI can support providing it to them in the way they need it. So I also think, by the way, speech uh, as a modality uh, is going to uh, be supported more in the future. A lot of the AI we haven't talked about right now is also text-to-speech, speech-to-text, right? And uh, that is is um, 
again, an area we haven't spoken about much, but I, I think that's going to enter the scene. A lot of students who are um, perhaps uh, if they can become accustomed to talking to a computer in that way and having conversations with it, it may be a lot easier for them to talk than it would be to type, right? And if it feels like it can have conversations back and forth, uh, then I think that's very, very useful as well uh, to, to teach and, and learn topics without having to sit at a keyboard the whole time. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Uh, Matt, this has been awesome. I, we're getting close to finishing up. Uh, before I let you go, uh, and we got one last question coming up after this. Uh, if someone wanted to follow up and connect with you and or learn more, where would you send them? Sure. Uh, well, I have a on our website, which is planorama.design. Uh, yeah, dot .design is correct. It's a, it's, <laughs> there's more than .com and .org and .net. There's uh, so planorama.design slash podcast. Uh, I have a page there uh, so that you could find me and, uh, um, you know, where to get me online and even set up a, a call if you needed to talk about about something. Uh, I have it all right there. So planorama.design slash podcast. Awesome. Awesome. I'll have that information in the show notes so it's easy for the guests to find it. Uh, last, last question for you, Matt. Uh, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? I do. Um, so when I was at uh, RIT, the school I went to was Rochester Institute of Technology up in Rochester, New York. Go Tigers. Um, <laughs> I had uh, uh, the, 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 the department head for my computer engineering department. His name is Roy Zernikowski. And uh, uh, he led that department. I, uh, uh, he always took a personal interest in me. Uh, we became uh, uh, friends while I was there and, and, and longtime friends of this day. Back when I was up in New York um, a year ago, I got a, had a chance to meet and, and visit with him. Uh, he always gave me good practical advice. You know, he was like a, you know, how they say there's a man's man. Like he was an engineer's engineer. Nice, <laughs> as, far nice. as, I, uh, as far as I'm concerned, he always gave me good advice on a personal and professional level. Always took an interest, uh, recognized that I had a love for this space and, um, and fostered me uh, in that in that process. So uh, I would I would say um, he's one of the many memorable ones. I, I'll I had a, probably could pick a, a number of them um, from from uh, high school and college, but uh, but he certainly is one that comes to mind, and and I like to publicly thank him. Very cool. Thank you so much, uh, Matt. Thanks so much for talking with me about Planorama, AI, and AI in education. This has been cool. Thank you, Steve. I had a good time. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right. The opinions expressed on Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.